Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. What happened for me being raised in that and being, you know, the different ideas that have come from religion and spirituality is just massive perspective. There's those rocket ship full throttle moments where you have to go full throttle and you feel like your vehicle is about to completely break down, but then you break through the atmosphere and there's this floating. Your whole purpose is to follow that that feeling and that belief and that vision that actually gives you the highest feeling of energy that you have or that you've ever felt. So your whole life's mission is follow that energy. And that is my belief. And it always has been and it always will be. Will be, will be, will be. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today's guest is Lori Harder. I first met Lori probably 10 years ago at a fitness competition, and she blew me away, not because she won the show, but because there's a light inside of her that explodes a room. It's one of those things that you just can't put your finger on, but when you see it, you know it, and she's got it. There were a million questions I could have asked her about fitness. She's been on the cover of every fitness magazine that you can think of. But what I really wanted to know about her is how she's dominating the world of human potential and self-love. So in this conversation, we talk about everything from how she overcame panic attacks to the challenges with having all your dreams come true at the same time in a very be careful what you wish for candid conversation. And she also shared with me one of the most painful events of her life that she's never shared publicly. You're going to want to hear this uh, to truly understand who she is and how it shaped her life and, and frankly, how she rose above it. This was a very wide-ranging conversation. We covered a lot of grounds. You can find Lori on the socials at Lori Harder. Make sure to take a screenshot of this episode and share it with your friends. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Lori Harder. Lori, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be on your show, Rob. No more excited than I am. You know, I've been looking forward to this for some time, and I'm so glad that you found a hole in your schedule and we were able to make this happen. Finally, I know. And I'm really thrilled because I know that this is going to be such a huge uh, podcast. So I'm getting on early while I can still get into your schedule. (laughs) (laughs) You know, okay. So I'd like to begin by rewinding the clock a bit. And I want to talk about some areas of your life that have likely informed where you are today. So let's begin at the beginning by being raised in a super religious home. Can you sort of describe what it was like as a kid to not celebrate holidays or birthdays or to have to leave the classroom during the Pledge of Allegiance or to you know knock on your classmates' doors, asking them if they wanted to hear about the Bible when they were having a slumber party. <laughs> sort of paint that picture for me. Those are all, you took me right back. So thanks for that. You know, the thing about being raised in a religion like that is that you 
don't know any different, but it doesn't make it any less challenging. Um, I just remember feeling so lonely all the time and making friends with people at school, like real friendships, real connections, and then never being able to do anything with them outside of the classroom. It was just this constant uh, bullying around our religion or our weight. And it just got worse as the separation started even more later on in fourth, fifth grade. What would you say are the key lessons that you learned from that whole experience? Oh, man, there's a lot. Um, I would say resilience. And I learned so much about how much we can handle, especially as children. And also just being able to have fun on my own. This is the craziest part to me when I look back, Rob. Like... As a little kid, I sort of knew that that was a temporary thing. Like I was like, okay, this might be this right now, but I know what I am later. So that's just all on hold. And this is just here and now. Isn't that crazy? So it was almost like a foreshadowing of the future. Yes. It was like, okay, here I am. I might be going through this, but just wait. Is like as a as a little kid, I remember saying in my mind all the time, just wait. It's gonna be big. Just wait. You'll be sorry. Like I remember saying that when I would get bullied. I was like, just wait, just wait. I'm gonna show you who I am. Do you still feel like you still have a piece of that in you now? I do. And actually, it's something that I have to work with because I find I'm always trying to prove myself and get validation. And even though it's a huge part of obviously me fulfilling what my my soul's calling is, I always have to make sure that my intention is balanced because sometimes I can be that person who's doing certain things because sometimes I'm like, attention, love, see me, feeling fulfilled. So I have to always kind of like go in and say, okay, let's love ourselves to this goal. Let's make sure that this goal is for us and for the right intentions and for all of those other things besides you know, validation, love me, see me, am I enough yet? So what did being raised in that environment teach you about religion or God or the universe or spirituality? And how do you think differently about that now? Oh, Rob, that's such a good question. I always sit in this question because when you are raised in something from when you are a baby, basically, it's like it is in, it's almost in your DNA sometimes. So breaking that belief and that idea, because there was a time I was so, I was so convicted to this idea of this um, religion. And while I'm grateful for all of the things that I learned, at the same time, it's like, as I started getting older, I realized that I was in fear all of the time. And I would meet other people, you know, especially my husband. When I met my husband, I remember thinking he just believed that he was loved by his source, by God no matter what he did. And I remember saying to him, I'm like, um, no, that's not the case. Like you have to do this, this, and this. You should be feeling this way. You should be in fear over this. You should, you know, you have to be doing all of this work and you need to be saving all of these people. Otherwise, you're not going to be approved and, and gain the love. And he was just like, no, you're just love no matter what. And I could not wrap my brain around the the idea that other people felt this way 
what happened for me being raised in that and being, you know, the different ideas that have come from religion and spirituality is just massive perspective. It completely opened my eyes after I got out of it that there are so many different beliefs. And at the end of the day, it made me dig really deep into what feels right for me. What actually is a real connection for me? When is this you know, voice or this thing or whatever this higher power or energy is, when do I feel most in alignment with this? And that's what I had that that has been my guiding source. And that's what I've had to follow because before it was so fear-based that I couldn't even actually understand what my connection was, uh, what it was to when it was speaking to me. So there was a lot of um, you know, there was a lot of like murky water around religion and my faith and what I really believed and getting out of that really helped open my eyes and look at what are we all really following? What are we all really feeling? What do we all really desire? And that had me dig deep into that. Do you feel that having... If you didn't have this experience, that you could be as effective as you are with your messaging now? No, I no. That hands down was a... You know, I, I even believe that I most likely chose that path so that I could understand everybody that I work with right now because, um, and I, and to be able to give the message that I give because to be on the extreme other side gives me complete perspective to know how, what people are dealing with and how to get through. So you grew up in Upper Michigan, and I just learned that there is an Upper Michigan. <laughs> and the, the typical diet wasn't so great, right? And as a result of that, the women in your family sort of struggled with weight. Can you tell us what that struggle was like and what you ultimately wound up doing to swing the pendulum and go in the opposite direction? The family dynamic was loving through food, connecting through food. And I know so many people can relate to that, right? We we celebrate um, around food, we cry, and we give ourselves food to feel better. It's like every single emotion is wrapped around food. And that was definitely the case for us. And so growing up in that, I think the belief uh, started probably not even from my grandma, but prior to my grandmother, long before that, because it was this belief that we had bad genetics and it didn't matter anyway. It wouldn't matter no matter what we did. If we ate right, if we exercised, you weren't going to change. And what ended up happening for me was, number one, the the bullying and the teasing in school just got to be so bad that I... It's like I couldn't handle that pain anymore. Like it was just constant teasing um, around your weight. I remember crying myself to sleep at night, thinking tomorrow's gonna be the day that I finally have enough willpower to not eat. How do you break what your only like interaction and love feels like? How do you break that? And you have no tribe on the outside of what you know. So for me, it started to turn into this like, you know, as a teenager, the, the pain just got really intense because now I started to believe that I would always be in pain. So I started to withdraw and I started to work out. I started to go outside of the house more. I didn't realize what I was doing was constantly trying to get out of the environment that was making me feel that way. So I would always leave the house. I'd try to go move my body. I would try to eat well, but I would notice that the trap at night would be... I would just go right back. So it was really tough for me to be able to break that habit until I moved out of the house. 
All right, we're going to circle back to that area in a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about mom's uh, anxiety attacks. Can you sort of place us maybe on a particular day that you remember her having these panic attacks and what it was like? So my mom ended up having a surprise pregnancy when I was 14. What ended up happening is later on, I learned and we had no idea what was going on. And she had always had anxiety and she was always nervous. And it really ran in my family around, around just, you know, being in, you know, maybe center of attention in public. Or I remember whenever we would go to church, like we'd have to raise our hand on Tuesday if we wanted to answer and she'd be so nervous. So I started watching this habit. And then I realized that I was starting to get nervous as well. And around, um, the time that she had my brother, what happened is I didn't, we didn't realize she had postpartum depression looking back and it wasn't talked about back then and it wasn't a thing yet. So I was in a grocery store one time and we were, we had been, you know, shopping, regular grocery shopping and we were at the checkout line. And I remember she started just having this like meltdown. I did not know what was going on. This was this big of a, it, attack was like completely out of character. And I was like, what is happening? And she threw her keys up on the conveyor belt. And a part of me was like, yes, I get to drive home. And the other part of me was like, what is happening to my mom? So it's that moment when you're a kid, when you think your parents are like invincible or taking care of you and then going, whoa, what is going on? And things are not right right now. And I have that in me. And it was a moment of going, that is in me. I'm like this. And they just accelerated. They started happening because uh, I went to middle school, but they were they were happening in middle school. And this is when I was really like, look, I can't go to high school because there's something wrong with me. Got it. So what strategies did you use then or are you using now if it ever you know rears its ugly head on you I mean you? then I hid I ran from everything I stopped doing everything I stopped being around people much I I was working out a bit so that was helping but honestly it was like I just I said no to everything I hid from everything so hiding was my first strategy what happened was later on I went to some tools that were uh not awesome in my 20s, I had started to want to apply for some other jobs, uh, but I didn't feel like I was good enough for any of them because I was homeschooled and I had these panic attacks. So as I was like, I can't stay in these dead-end jobs. That's really when I started to confront them for the first time. So what happened is I wanted to apply for this job interview. And it was way outside of my skill set. And I was like, I'm going to have a panic attack in this interview because that was a huge trigger for me. It was like people asking me questions, people putting me on the spot, having to show up as this person I didn't believe I was. So I went to the doctor and I was like, Hey, do you have anything for panic attacks? Like, can I, can I talk to a therapist? So this is what I asked. Can I talk to a therapist? And they're like, you know, we don't, we don't do that. Like there's actually these pills that you can take for it. Like you can do some anti-depression, anti-anxiety pills. And at the time I was like, all right, give it to me. Like, let's heal my... Let's fix me. So I started on these pills. And what happened is... This is right around the time when I was uh, just married to Chris. And there are... Um, we're just going here, Rob. But there are side effects to these pills where you like have no 
sexual feeling whatsoever. So I go back to the doctor. I'm like, this isn't really working for me. Like this is affecting my marriage. I feel nothing for my husband. Like, no, I'm not attracted. I I have no desire. Like this is not working for us. And they're like, okay, we're going to put you on another one. So I go on another one and it's still not working. I'm feeling even more numb. And I'm like, okay, this might be working a little bit for this um, interview, which I ended up going on and did not get the job. And I still felt panic, but not to the extreme, but I still felt panic. So I'm on two of these different medications. And I'm just noticing that I'm being totally out of character. And I, and I didn't notice it right away, like, but Chris noticed it. So... The way that I started to notice is, uh, Rob, I'm eating like these huge bowls of pasta at night. Like, and I used to love to eat salads and be healthy and go work out after work. And I'd tell Chris, I'm like, no, you go work out. I don't care. I don't care. I want more pasta. Like, I just sit and eat these bowls of pasta every single night. And all of a sudden, while I'm eating this bowl of pasta, this commercial comes on and it's like a really sad commercial. And I'm like, I should be feeling something. And I asked myself this question. And I literally asked myself, would I cry if someone told me that one of my family members died? And I said, no, like I couldn't cry. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on with the wiring in my brain? And I started to panic. Like, did I wreck my brain? And so I went off of these medications the next day, cold turkey, while I was at work. And I was severe. So I didn't know that this happened. Like I wasn't about to go back to the doctor. I didn't want to ask. I was just going off cold turkey. So when you turned 18, you made a decision to move to Madison, Wisconsin, where your friend Bree uh, was going to college. Uh, can you describe what that period in your life was like um, sort of driving your Geo Metro to three different waitressing jobs that you hated from TGI Fridays <laughs> to Hooters. Yes, Hooters, ladies and gentlemen. Can you kind of describe what that was By like? By the way, if my mom and dad listen to this and they're about to read the book, they still don't know I worked at Hooters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just block them from this post. <laughs> just kidding. They're about to read the book. That is going to be my pull quote. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I mean, I have this vision of you know little uh, little Lori, you know, eighteen years old in a Geo Metro worth about five hundred bucks, you know, <laughs> going from TGI Fridays with the weird suspenders and the buttons, and you know, going to Hooters and you know, like three jobs and put like what was that period of your life like? Oh, oh, God. Um. Wow. Like you brought me right back to the uniforms because I just remember like dressing up from one clown outfit to the next. Like, what am I doing? But I got right away pretty heavily involved in drinking like four or five, sometimes uh, six nights a week. Like, so for me, I kind of went all in on that alternate side of life because it was this taste of freedom. So the waitressing was just kind of keeping me afloat. And I was meeting people. I had never actually been able to hang out with people outside of my religion. So I was like meeting all of these interesting people. I was going to these parties. I It was... It was absolutely, you know, it was an amazing time of life and the worst experience of my life because I remember, I actually remember being waitressing at Hooters once and I was leaning up against this post because I was so tired. I was like half sleeping and I was like, I can't 
go on. Like I'm so exhausted. How do I keep doing this? And then in the evening, it's like I'd get home and I'd start drinking and I'd go out. And then and that was just the cycle. It was just like always tired, always depressed, drinking. Finally... So the reason that I started drinking so much is I felt this massive freedom when I would do it. It was like I could be me. Like I could just not care. I could let go. I could be me. But then there was this massive crash on the other side. And also when I drank, there was no anxiety. It was like the only time that I felt like this feeling of just complete freedom. So it was this cycle of chasing this freedom and chasing this love and attention from you know men and women when I was out that it was just this over and over cycle that I could not get myself out of. So it's kind of like you were you were switching between depressed and drinking and and hungover and just rinse and repeat over and over again. Over and over and over. All right. So things then took a significant turn in your life when you and Bree decided to take a trip to Cancun. If you're open to it and you're willing to share, would you tell us about the night that you were separated from her in the nightclub and found that uh, some guys took her home? And then you jumped in a cab to go see where she was and see if she was okay. So, and Rob, this is the first time I've talked about it on a podcast. So we're going to go there together. Okay. Um, and there was actually another girl with us too. Um, and these were my roommates that I had moved out with. And she drank all of the time, just like me, except she would often like pass out when she would drink. So she ended up getting taken home and I had gone to the bathroom during this time when they had... And you know, if you're in a club in Cancun, if you have to go to the bathroom, it's going to be a good hour long thing like to get through the crowd and to wait in line. So I got back and she was gone and I was like, what is going on? So I started to panic thinking of all of these things that could be happening because I don't know who she went home with. And I jump in a cab and we are driving and driving and driving. And I'm not even thinking at this point that it's taking a while. And we are driving some more and all of a sudden I realized there's no more lights. Like there's no more city lights at all. And this is when all of a sudden I just drop into panic and I'm like, what are we doing? Where are we going? And he's like, taking a shortcut. And I'm thinking, this has been a really long time to take a shortcut. And so we drive a little bit longer and I'm like, this is not right. Like right away, this is not right. And he pulls over and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And he pulls into like this dirt road, like deep into the jungle. And it's like all of a sudden, we're just completely enveloped in the jungle. Like these plants are next to the car. And I just know at this point, I'm like, this is, this is not good. Like, obviously, I just know something terrible is about to happen. And he goes out to use the bathroom and comes in on my passenger side. And he's just starts to to like beat me up and strangle me and he's asking for money and I don't have any money besides what I was going to pay him with because I knew not to bring a lot of money. I have like nothing. And it completely angers him. And he's just like literally we wrestled back and forth for hours to the point of where he was, you know, strangling me and shaking me to come back and strangling me and shaking me to come back to and and honestly the reason uh, this was the reason I can talk about it now is like, and I still haven't actually verbally gone there with many people is it's like, I've had so many years to process this, but at the same time, it's so surreal to me to think that 
like what was actually happening that evening because something else happened that evening is I had this moment, just this crazy, clarifying moment. And I looked around his car and he had a lot of like different religious signs in his car. Um, as far as like he had Mary like hanging from his mirror. He had some other like just religious stickers and things like that. And I was like, I just had this moment and it felt like the heavens parted and I knew I was supposed to talk about my little brother. Um, Cause at the time he was probably like three or four and I knew I was supposed to talk about um, God forgiving him. And it was like, all of a sudden, I just started saying these words that were just like, Hey, you don't have to worry about this. You're completely forgiven. This is totally fine. God wants me to tell you that He knew that you needed to do this for, you know, you needed money and that you're going to be forgiven if you take me back and that this doesn't even matter. And moving forward in your life, you'll be completely forgiven if you just bring me back. Like this is the moment for you that you get to decide. But the more that you can humanize yourself um, and the more that you can try to relate to that person, the more likely they are to get out of whatever kind of haze they're in to bring them like to planet Earth. Um, and he ended up dropping me off. He had me put my head down in his lap and held the knife to my neck the whole time. But he ended up dropping me off. And um, I walked into the hotel and my teeth were chipped. My face was swollen. I had blood all over my dress. I looked crazy. I can only imagine. I walk up to the front desk and I was just like asking for the American embassy. I didn't even know what to say or ask for. I was just like still in freak out mode. So the next day I ended up going around all day long with cops in this bug, like a bug, like the car, a bug with Elvis music playing with two male cops who were in like Hawaiian shirts going around and looking in all of these individual cabs to see what cab it was because we had completely destroyed it. But the thing is, is that the cops told me this happens all the time and that I was super lucky. You know, when I went back home and I was trying to process this, because let me tell you, I can't even tell you all of the thoughts. There's a lot of fear. I had fear around men. I had fear around the culture. I had fear around just being out in public. I had fear around like just my safety in general. And I I talked to one of my roommates and I was like, I need to, I need to like sit down and talk about this. And she said to me, she said, I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel good. And if you don't talk about it, it'll go away. And that's just how we dealt with everything. And it made me like have this moment of I'm making somebody, I'm making her feel bad. And I never want to be a burden. That was a huge issue for me was never wanting to be a burden on my family, on anyone in my life. So I never shared my problems. So it was this moment of I brought this on myself. I was wearing uh, a small dress. I'm ashamed of myself. I was drinking. I knew I shouldn't have gotten in the cab. Uh, my parents have no idea that I party or that I drink ever and that I was wearing this skanky dress. And so it was this moment of like, I brought this on myself. I'm shoving this down. I'm hiding it and it'll go away. And it did not go away until years later, years and years and years. But that was, that was the story. First of all, um, thank you for trusting me with that. I know that wasn't easy. And it means a lot that you trusted me there. What were the steps that you took to work through that trauma? Mm, I mean, the steps weren't even... I mean, it was just... It was more drinking later. Um, (laughs) But I do remember in the moment being in that car, I was like, God, if you let me 
off on this one. Like if if you, if I can get out of this one, I will do something amazing with my life. Sounds like you did. Mm. It just took me a few years, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about where you are now. A lot of your dreams are coming true. And the universe, being the universe, has a sense of humor. And all of your dreams are coming true at the exact same time. So to give people some context of what I'm referring to, you just spoke at Grant Cardone's 10X in front of 10,000 people. You're about to begin your book tour for your first book, A Tribe Called Bliss. You just had your biggest bliss event with over 500 people. I could go on and on and on talking about the new projects that you're working on or the speaking gigs that you're doing or your insane travel schedule. But what I want to ask you about are the lessons that you learned from this be careful what you wish for stage of life. So my first question is, is the life you're living now the life that you envisioned it would be when you were manifesting all of that stuff that I just mentioned? Mm, Parts of it are, and parts of it are not. So there are those beautiful moments of uh, you know living in your purpose. That is really, really beautiful. And so one of the biggest things that I've learned is living in your purpose does not always feel good. It can. I, I feel like it needs more space and time. So does it look like what I thought? No, but I was also really open to the idea that it could feel like this at times. Since the rest of my life building all of these different things has looked like this too. There's that, there's those rocket ship full throttle moments where you have to go full throttle and you feel like your vehicle is about to completely break down, but then you break through the atmosphere and there's this floating. And so I've always kind of gone by that. Like right now I'm in full throttle. Everything's shaking. I'm I feel like the the rocket's about to fall apart, but I'm right at the edge. I'm like going through the atmosphere right now. But it also has taught me that if I don't make more space for the downtime, I'm not going to be able to, uh, number one, run at this pace or enjoy it. And I did not manifest these dreams to not enjoy them. So that's what I'm working on right now. How would you do it differently? If you can look back, and I, and I know it's it's difficult because there's there's too many variables, but would you space projects out differently or would you block out time for downtime or would you put in travel that's non-business related or how would you do it differently? I am unbelievably blown away by myself right now. Like I never thought I'd be able to do this. And still also like find pockets of it taught me how to find pockets of time and space to to connect and have downtime. And it also just made me so clear on the tools that I'm teaching work. <laughs> like they are the only things that pulled me through. And it also was this massive leveling up of like. You never stop being afraid. You never stop growing. You never stop having those really questionable moments of, you know, can I do this? Am I enough? Is this possible? And my faith has never been so high as it is right now because of those moments. So, with that said, I wouldn't do it differently looking back. 
But number two, moving forward, I am taking... You better believe like I am planning everything in my life so that I get some downtime because I recharge away from people and I am my best when I get some time to go and be in nature and connect with my source like in a much bigger way and play. That is... Play is like what I've created some of my best work off of. So I know that it's just as important. So that's a that that's a neglected part the last year, sort of. Um, but I even kind of worked that in because I do know how important that part is. Yeah. Having goals come true sometimes looks a bit different when you actually get them. You shared on your podcast that you sort of had a, a little meltdown before you walked on stage in front of your biggest audience yet at Grant Cardone's 10X. Can you kind of place us back on that day and tell us the story of what you were going through and how you got yourself out of it and maybe what you learned. Oh man. Okay. I, I, I love this story because there was a point during this that I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. You know how you're always like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like There was a moment where it was like, no, I legitimately might not make it to that stage. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like, okay, you know, I know how good the brain works. That I there was Rob. This is like super secret that I've never said. Like there was a point where I was like, I could send myself to the hospital right now and I could get out of it. Like I could, I could allow myself to go back to panic, glory, have a nervous breakdown, make it look totally real, go to the hospital and be out of this. <laughs> <laughs> And then I was like, do you really want to do that? And my brain was like, nope, not at all. So we're going to we're gonna just deal with it. Ow, ow, I tripped, I tripped. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, true story. Okay, so you know, I think the thing that got me... Because I've spoken at different events. I've spoken at you know, our network marketing company where we speak in front of sometimes 10, 15,000 people. But I've always been out there with Chris or it's always been an audience where I know people are there for... Or like they're excited to hear what you have to say. Like they're not going to be like, who's this person? What are they talking about? And that's kind of the message that I was going into grants with because it was a, you know, it's it's a very it was a very masculine stage. And, you know, he's I love, love, love how there's so much diversity in selling and teaching. And he happens to be almost completely opposite of me. And I love that. So the thing is though, is he also attracts those people. So for me, I was thinking, number one, I think there were only three women speakers all weekend. No, four, four total out of like... I think there was like 25 or 30 or something like that. Also, I was definitely bringing in a very spiritual message about being aligned uh, with your message and aligned with your soul and aligned with your higher power. And I was also going to put them through like a meditation visualization at the end. <laughs> so I can, I can only, I, I mean, I'm just, I, I could totally, I'm seeing this whole thing before <laughs> me right now and I'm feeling exactly what you're feeling. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, how am I going to do... Like, I am doing something. Like, you know, all these things are going through my head. Like, you should have switched your message. Like, what were you thinking? And then I was like, but I don't... You know, I tried switching my message for another talk that I did. And I didn't feel great about it. I was like, that wasn't the right... That wasn't me. Like, I changed who I was for another stage. And it was not right. So my gut had already told me, like, you're not doing that again. Um, so I knew I had to do it at this one. Like it was just so clear to me. You have to be fully you in order for people to even connect with you. Like it doesn't matter what you say up there. You can't go and pretend to be someone else. Right before uh, the the night before, I was in meltdown mode. 
and <laughs> and just doing all of the different things that I could possibly do. I was in prayer for like hours. I was in meditation and I was like, I'm still not feeling better, God. So like, when are you going to come in here and help me out? Like I was literally saying things like, what, what are you doing? Like, where are you? And I start leaving the door with Chris and I'm walking out in the hallway and I just start to get dizzy. I'm like, this is not good. Like I, I am thinking I'm not going to be able to do this. And I, I'm walking through the casino, right? Because it's in Las Vegas. I get in the room and I start to feel better again. It's like I started to get grounded. I started to feel my feet. I'm starting to use some more of these tools again. I'm starting to take some deep breaths. And the nerves started to get... Um, started to go lower and lower. And I sat there and I just really... Because we can, you could sit in these chairs right beforehand. And I listened to the speaker prior. And I was just really praying and meditating and being like, Well, everything that I've done has led me to this moment. So I'm having faith in that. I'm also having faith that whatever the hell happens up there is meant to happen. I had to just have full on faith. I had to just say, if you've led me to this spot, you like I'm just handing it over. And anything other than that was not working. So honestly, I got on that stage and the second I got up there, it was like I just dropped in, like just complete and utter calm to lean so much on faith and to just be so fully me up there was why it worked. I want to read an excerpt from a post that you wrote a while back that hit me and just a small little excerpt of it. No, I didn't just get lucky. I was not born into this designed life. Running on the beach in the winter was a planned manifestation that was years in the making. We knew we wanted to design a life with access to the things that fed our souls and our goals. So with years of planning, working, and designing, we took the scary leap and we built businesses out of our passion. Can you add a little color there on what you were hoping people would understand when you wrote mm. that? I think it's so important for people to see what it really looks like and how much intention has to go into your happiness and into creating a life. Like it, it has to be a daily planning. It has to be... And anyone can do it. That's also, I think with every post that I make, I'm trying to somehow take an angle of, I am not special. This is where I'm from. This is what was going on. This is what I was up against. Like You guys can absolutely do this with planning and intention. So every time I say it, it's it's kind of like, you can have this, but here's where you have to start. Let's talk about belief a little bit, which is on the fringes of what you were just talking about. You are probably the world's most successful manifester, manifester in the history of human <laughs> womankind. Oh, I, I just love that title. What are some beliefs that you have that most people don't? And how did you train yourself to believe them? I believe that if I can think something for myself, that it was meant for me, that it was it's literally in my purpose and it is my obligation to go towards it if i can see myself in it like that is the feeling of truth in your body and it's it's the idea of what you are feeling and seeing in those moments of goosebumps and wow in those moments that give you enthusiasm and give you life and energy and vitality that is actually you seeing your future you and your soul aligning with it 
And anything outside of that that doesn't give you life is not your truth. It's not your purpose. Your whole purpose is to follow that that feeling and that belief and that vision that actually gives you the highest feeling of energy that you have or that you've ever felt. So your whole life's mission is follow that energy. And that is my belief. And it always has been and it always will be. Yeah, I'm not going to touch that. That was amazing. All right. Let's talk about Earn Your Happy. Earn Your Happy um, largely centers around self-love. Where are you weak with your own self-love? My weakest is probably thinking that I constantly need to be achieving in order to be valid, in order to be loved. Amazing. All right, so let's move on to the. I uh, got a couple of play hard uh, questions for you, and a couple of rapid fire, and we'll wrap up. So the uh, the play hard section of the show, play hard basically means different things to different people, but I view play hard as pretty much any area outside of work. So um, I'm going to turn a question on you that your husband dreamed up uh, when we were in the car this weekend, and that was if you had a magic wand. Describe in detail what play hard would look like to you. Oh, I know exactly what it looks like because I'm planning it right now. So, <laughs> so it is waking up in the morning doing whatever I want, but typically I'm going to go move my body anyway. And I love to surf and be in the ocean. Um, so I would be surfing. I would be probably going out on... So this is... Let's just say this is over like a, a week or a month or or something like that. Mm-hmm. Surfing on a boat. I love champagne. I love good food. I love incredible conversations. I love... Uh, dancing. I love, I love, love, love dancing. I love to ballroom dance. I love to try new things. I love art. I love to, I would love to do some pottery. I would love to learn to play the guitar better and take that with me and sing on the beach with people. Um, and that's, it's all absolutely happening and most of it in July. But yeah, that's playing I, new experiences. I literally want to have new experience, cultural experiences that I've never had along with like just being in the ocean, surfing, boating, being outside, beautiful sunsets, just enjoying life, enjoying people and enjoying conversation. Love that. That's why we're a match made in heaven because <laughs> I want to give you new experiences when we travel. So this is... Our love languages are matching. This is great. I love that. That's why I'm like, when can we go with Rob and Kim again? <laughs> I love that. I didn't. I did not know that you surfed. Oh, I love it. I'm not very good at it, but I love it. I'll do it. All, like Chris and I, when we go to Costa Rica, we go and surf. So we just, we just do that. Yeah, we just did it. Well, that was my next question. When was the last time you played hard, like really played hard, and forgot about work? That was definitely in Costa Rica in November. And we've built that trip in every year. Um, I've gone every year for the last three years. I mean, there is... I wouldn't say it's it's work there, but there's some self-development stuff there just because you're sitting in meditation doing some journaling and things like that. For five days straight, you're like surfing and you're doing horseback riding. And if you want to zip line, you can zip line. We're out on the beach. We literally in Costa Rica. So some of my friends live there. It's like every single night, no matter what you're doing, if you live there, like you're meeting for sunset to watch the sunset on the beach with everyone. And the whole town comes out and you just like drink kombucha and you watch the sunset with all of these dogs and kids running around. And it's the most glorious thing. And it just makes you stop and slow down and remember. My next question was, when was the last time you cried tears of joy? 
Tears of joy. I think it was really recent. I, I think I cried tears of joy after the 10X conference. Um, I was so proud of myself. Like I couldn't... You know, I could cry again. Like I just... For right after I was like, little Lori, like little Lori, I could just see myself as a little girl. Like, like she just did that. Like that's amazing. How beautiful is that? I take time to be like proud of myself now. And I didn't yeah. used to do that. I love that. What's on your vision board these days? You still keep one? You know what? This was like the first year I I didn't make one. Um, you know, I probably will actually make one uh this year, but right now it's like what's inspiring me is travel because like you said Rob, like it's all happening right now. So for me traveling, speaking, um being able to just kind of show up different places and speak to groups of people um about what lights me up and in hopes that it lights them up. Um, is huge. So travel, play, and I'm always really inspired by spaces. So even though I freaking love my house, I'm always very inspired to keep other sorts of spaces and homes on my house because space inspires me. So I would say uh, play, luxury spaces, uh, and travel. What's the one thing that you've implemented into your lifestyle that has helped you look better, feel better, or be healthier? Any of those three. Like, the, What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think, when I do this, I'm just better? When I do this, I'm just better. When I take time in the morning to meditate and visualize and slow down, because I still have that tendency to get anxious. So that's a huge one for me. Um, and when I make sure I have space and time to like do these little extras for myself, I feel better about myself. So such as like skin treatments or massage or going and having time to go get the green juice that I want or planning my day out for food, things like that. Like making some time to make sure that I do the things that that take care of me. What's the one thing that you've always wanted to learn, but you just have not gotten around to yet? Guitar. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> All right. couple couple questions from uh, social media. Mary wants to know, when can I buy your book? Mary, my book, <laughs> my book comes out on <laughs> May 8th. So you can pre-order it right now though. So if you want to get it on the exact day, you would have to pre-order it now. And Jack wants to know, what is it like living with Chris Harder? Okay, Jack. Um, what's, it, what's it like living with Chris Arner? <laughs> Let me tell you, it's always exciting. Um, and something that people I don't think know about him, because even though he's so amazing on social media, he is so funny and fun and goofy and lighthearted. And he is the most loving human being I've ever met in my life. Like the most loving, soft-hearted human I have ever met in my life. It's this beautiful dance of being that way and also being able to... Like I admire him so much. Like having such fierce boundaries and this ability to um, just really go after what he wants and not let things get in the way. It's like this fierceness of like just saying what he wants and it doesn't matter to him like... What com- what obstacles come up while still being loving and letting go of I-, I don't know it's this it's crazy the the two things going on at once. Yeah, he's got that dichotomy going for sure. Marianne wants to know what time do you go to bed and how do you fit it all in? Nine or nine thirty, Marianne. Always like 
I'm going to just be like last night. It was like nine o'clock. And I'm like, I got to just go to bed because right now, especially running at the rate that we're running at, sleep is my number one. When I don't sleep, I feel so weak. Like I feel mentally weak. I feel challenged. I feel disgruntled. I forget my why. So sleep and, um, and eating right is really important. So nine, nine thirty. All right, one more from social. I have a million, so I have to pick them. But Janie wants to know what is the what is your most ordered meal in a restaurant, whether it's for lunch or dinner. You pick it, whichever one you want. What when if you if you're going out for lunch or dinner, what's what's your go to? It's always the same. So if there is kale on the menu, it is on it is on my plate. So anything kale, like I love salmon, I love kale, I love. Um, I also love cheese on my kale. Like just a kale salad. <laughs> okay, rapid fire question. Feel free to answer these as quickly or as slowly as you would like. What would your friends say your superpower is? Um, to be funny, to make them laugh. What's the one thing that you're afraid of right now? Oh, that Rob, I don't feel totally afraid. Oh, oh, um, just disappointing my family when my book comes out. What did you believe to be true that you found out that you were wrong about? That I am capable of so much more than I thought. Like I just even in how much downtime I need. I thought that I needed a whole lot more downtime. I thought that I needed a whole lot more time and space to connect um, to inspiration and to create. And that is simply not the case. What do people never ask you but you wish they did? Like what's fun for me? Like what actually drives me? Like what what actually is some of the biggest pieces of ins- things that inspire me and to do that help me get in the zone to do my work? What's the one thing that you own and probably should throw out, but you're not going to throw it out? Oh, I feel like if I say it out loud, it's bad too. Um, like just, I tried to go to the earth saving laundry soap, except it doesn't get my clothes as clean. So I'm having trouble parting with la- my, my, um, like my tide. <laughs> Last question. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, and it could be on anything that you like or anything that you have a passion for or anything else for that matter, what would it be on? Um, I think it'd be like the power of surfing, ballroom dancing, and trying to learn guitar. I'm going to leave it on that note. Lori, I know that we went way over our time. This was awesome. I hope it was great for you. I need a cigarette now. This was great. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? No. Just listen to this podcast because I promise you, he's putting his whole heart and soul into being able to shift your life through epic stories. So you got more stories out of me than I've told in years. So thank you so much. I'm super grateful, Rob. You got it. Have a great day. (laughs) You too. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.